what can I tell you? That yellow stuff is sake, or that white stuff was sake? Yeah, cloudy, ricey, milky sake. That mm. <laughs> just made you kind of gag a little, didn't it? <laughs> hey, Jamar. Hey, how are you doing? How are you? Oh, here's Malcolm. Yay, welcome to the Black Helpline, Mel. Hey, hey. Nice to have you, Mel. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to be here. I know it. Okay, so let's just jump right into it. I'm Tricky Mickey. I'm Malcolm Tint. I'm Big Germ. I always expect that that sound effect that you have usually, and I'm disappointed. Uh, uh, You'll notice on the podcast, I actually put it in afterwards. Oh, okay. You really, yeah, you've done a lot of the, the post-editing. Cool. Good. Well, we got that. We got the, we got these, these uh, wonderful backgrounds instead. <laughs> <laughs> kind of frightening. Like you spend, I mean, you spend so much time with this shit. Like, oh my God. I know. It's no wonder that you're sound. Like doodling. So well. <laughs> and now like he's doodling. stuck at home because his whip is in the shop. <laughs> Just till tomorrow. Just till tomorrow. What's the matter? I do, I do trade with people so I can get it out. I'll just like slip in my laptop, you know. <laughs> oh, nice. That's the way to do it. Yeah. So, Mel, okay, so let's just jump, like I was saying, let's just jump right into it. You, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How about that? Um, I was born and raised in the city of Minneapolis. Um, I am a, well, I wasn't born here. I was born in, um, uh, Kansas City Mo and moved here when I was very, very little. And um, I'm mixed race. My, my father, who is recently deceased, was black. My mother is white and still lives in the house we were raised in. I have three siblings. Um, I currently live in the Ventura Village neighborhood, um, one of the most diverse uh, neighborhoods in the city of Minneapolis. And I'm the executive director of the Longfellow Community Council, which is the neighborhood organization for greater Longfellow community. Where's Ventura Village? Ventura Village is uh, it's adjacent to Seward. So once you hit Taco Bell on Franklin and head west, that's Ventura mm-hmm. Village. Okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Got you, got you. Phillips used to be one big neighborhood, and it's split into four. Ventura Village is one of those. Okay, okay. And the greater Longfellow, that comprises of how many different areas? How many different what? How many different neighborhoods? That's four neighborhoods. Four neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. It's the largest neighborhood demographically and geographically in the city of Minneapolis. And you're the executive director. So what exactly does that entail? Basically, our job is, well, we say it's community engagement, which is to uh, bring the voices of the residents and the businesses um, so that they can uh, be able to have input and opportunity when it comes to um, what the elected officials do in the city. But it also has to do with, we do program development, um, we do special projects, activities, we do events to sort of engage and bring in people in the community. Um, And right now, our work is mainly focused on getting those businesses back up and running and trying to do a rebuild plan for the community. So So let's talk about that then. So George Floyd, Lake mm-hmm. Street protests, and you're right in the middle of all that. I mean, yep. can you take us through, you know, can you take us through, A, what you kind of went through and how you were feeling, and then B, the neighborhood, and then C, I guess, 
the aftermath and how everything is being rebuilt? You know, it's, it's really hard for me to talk about it. It makes me cry because you have this horrible, awful event that happens, which is this man being murdered on camera by the police, you know, and my dad was a victim of police brutality through the seventies. And as a little girl, me and my sisters grew up watching him be, you know, beat up in our house, in our driveway downtown when the police, um, when the police precinct was at city hall and it was horrible. Right. And seeing that hearing this man scream for his mother, it killed me. And that was before any of the protests happened. But I just remembered thinking there's no such thing as progress, right? Never happened, never will. Then the protest happened and I thought, oh my God, this is awesome. You know, like people are so upset. People are going to do something finally. This city's going to take notice. And then I started thinking about how most of those new council members came in with this idea that, you know, they were going to do something about this and they were going to do something about racial equity. They haven't done a goddamn thing, you know? Oh. It, it makes me crazy how little they've done, right? So that put us at this boiling point where the riots happened. And then, you know, I watched it on TV. I watched this amazing community that I've worked in for 13 years burn to the ground. And I watched people have absolutely no regard for the fact that people worked at these jobs, people shopped at these stores. At least 11 other neighborhoods in the city of Minneapolis were dependent on that Target and that Cub. I mean, neighborhoods where most of the people are transit transit, um, dependent. And so I just started getting like infuriated. Like it was, it was this balance of all this horrible pain, this, watching this terrible thing and then this incredible anger in so many directions about how bad things actually were. And in my mind, I just thought, how do we come back from any of this, right? Like, like what's next? And part of my perspective has to do with the fact too that I watch, I'm just kind of obsessed with documentaries about the 60s and the uprisings and all of the revolutionary groups that you know came to power and how they all eventually fell apart and how progress really wasn't made and in the end they just looked like radical militants and so then and I've been we've been away from work we've been working remotely since March so then we got our shit together and tried to figure out what is our plan here and what we knew right away was we started seeing all this money flooding into Lake Street Council and um I thought people just don't know about how many other community organizations there are out on the ground all the time doing this work and they're funding this one group. So we started hey, raising can, can, money. Can I ask you a question real quick? Mm-hmm. That, that, that Lake Street funding, was that mm-hmm. coming from private donors or was that coming from corporate contributions? Well, it was private at first and I think they've had conversations with corporate um, donors and I'm not sure, you know, they don't really let that out. But one of the things that really bothered me was that, you know, this was an organization that's really only focused on Lake Street anyway. And nobody had a clue as to how the money was actually going to be spent at first. Now about half of it's being spent in grants that are helping those businesses, which is great. But um, so they got like $10 million. We raised, you know, about 65. But our plan was actually this really long-term strategy, right? Because so we were focusing on food security, number one. And 
we knew that once it hits winter, well, number one, within a month, those donations all start to dry up, right? And move into the next cost. And that the food insecurity was going to be huge. Um, and even though Target's going to open in late fall and Cub and already opened sort of this outdoor market, there's so many people who are so poor right now, right? They just, they have nothing and they can expect nothing in the future. So we've been trying to work with local groups who, um, they were temporary food shelters. They can't do that forever. So we're trying to work on that long term. The second piece was um, safety and security for residents because so many people left their homes during the riots. Like they felt so threatened. They were so scared. They moved their families out. But and then they started block groups and block patrols. There were already block groups there, but they weren't really doing much. So they did blocked patrols. But it was this like people were standing in front of businesses trying to guard them. And so the community is is completely shaken. I'm sorry, it still just kills me. And so we have to help people kind of get kind of back to where they were. And then the third thing is our focus on businesses. And we're trying to put together, we've already written a request for proposals. I'm teaming up with six other neighborhoods. And we're going to put together a long-term stabilization plan. Um, and a really large assessment of where people are and what their needs are. And then the other thing is we have smaller grant programs to help them. In the midst of all that are these questions about racial equity, right? And how the community itself is going to respond to what is, I think, an overwhelming challenge to most people because everybody knows what racial inequity is, right? What they don't know is what their role in it is and that what they could possibly do to work towards some kind of racial equity. And a lot of people were contacting me right away. They didn't know I was black from the neighborhood. They were like, what are you going to do about racial equity? What's LCC going to do? Right. And I was pretty insulted. And I thought therein lies the problem, right? You don't go somewhere to get racial equity. You look at what is already happening and figure out how to change it. Right. So part of my focus right now has been trying to figure out how I'm going to lead this community to thinking smart in a smart way about how it is that we can, you know, affect change. I think one of the biggest ways to affect change is to look at not just the police, right? The police are just one piece of a really bad system. And that system has been going on forever, right? And most people know what the problem is with the police force, right? There's a there's an overwhelming um, sense of entitlement on the part of the police and the police unions that they can do whatever they want to do, right? Um, and that somehow there's tons of protections, but also the fact that like when they come in and are trained, I think there's these huge pieces that are missing from the police is that their sense of humanity seems to disappear, right? It could be because they don't live in the community. It could be because they have, you know, no part of their social life that brings in that humanity, right? And I think the other part is that there's no, um, nothing offered by the police that helps them relax, right? Like they're always on this high alert kind of thing, you know, and especially with people of color. 
And I think that the only way to deal with that is to provide better training and immerse these cops into the community at first in a forced way. And if they don't want to be in that, get the fuck out, right? It's, it's not the right job for you. But I, I think the systems that are the worst that people skip over is our government, right? So I talked to a council member and he was like, I don't understand why everybody's so pissed at us. I said, what have you done in four years? Tell me what changes you've enacted. Yeah, I said the council's a joke. Yeah, I said you ban <laughs> fur. Okay, when have you heard African Americans tell you how upset they were that fur is allowed? Not once. How many what? times? Have Wait, you I heard... didn't even know that that was a thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> they, they banned menthol cigarettes, right? I know, I know. Yeah, blunt, almost blunt, almost blunt. They taxed the hell out of blunts. Yep, yep. And and you know this was. A government-sponsored program for black youth to work on a project to get rid of menthol cigarettes to talk about how, you know, the cigarette companies are fooling us. Us blacks, we really like shiny things and candy-flavored things. So, you know, we have to be controlled. They never talk to adults about it, right? And kids shouldn't be smoking anyway. They don't pay taxes. So I don't care what people say about cigarettes. I don't give a shit. I like that. Standing in line at Cub <clears throat> and being unable to get a pack of cigarettes I want, which are menthol, but if, and you know, forget the argument about whether cigarettes are good or not. But the white person in front of me can get whatever they want, their preferences. Yeah. Right? We're too stupid. We have to be controlled by the government. They banned drive-throughs at uh, fast food restaurants. Right? Till COVID, right? Yeah. They banned plastic bags. Right, they banned all of these things before they banned chokeholds. Awesome. Right, so that tells you it's a Caucasian-centric agenda. Right, they spent a shitload of resources in the past few years on bike lanes. Right, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> that bike, what does that tell you? Bike lanes solved everything, right? That fucking bike lane shit, and I bike, and it's still a. Oh, it's there. Oh, it's hor- it's horrible. It's horrible. It's fucking it's horrible. Fucking horrible. It's a monument to white people. Okay? I know. I know. It's whiteness. And when you see bike lanes, gentrification is it's really close behind it. It okay? is. Then they you passed know? that 2040 plan and pretended as if the community oh, provided input. They got 33,000 responses on that 2040 plan. And I said to a council member, when 33,000 people respond, it's not because they are telling you how great it is. Right, because they're pissed. That plan happens to be the trickle down theory of Republicans that now progressives have taken no on. Shit, no if shit. you build really high end shit, it's going to trickle down to super poor people and give them <laughs> affordable apartments. This shit no, never has hard. worked, right? But yeah, right. But then I was saying, look at the structure of the city government. You haven't changed one goddamn thing. If you apply for a professional job on their website, you can't get through the first screen of the application process unless you have a college degree. Who does that weed out, right? Um, uh, Well, that definitely weeds my ass out. (laughs) Hey, I'm telling you, it's about, I'm telling you, they, um, the, the boards and commissions are never filled, right? But if you look at their application process, this is volunteer shit. So civil rights Mm -hmm. commission, police advisory, it's, what are your affiliations? Blah, blah, blah. Fill out a line yeah. why you want to yeah. join this. Who gives a shit? Why? Is, you know what I mean? It's a weeding out. And most of them have to be appointed. Then if you look at actual city government, right? The 
heads of departments at the city council or at the city are white. The staff runs the city. So if all your perspective comes from white progressives, right, or just white people in general, it is a Caucasian-centric agenda, right? And that's what goes forward, right? And, you know, so if, and I said to him, you can't clean your own house. How do we expect you to clean the house of the police, right? Or our communities overall, you can't do it because you showed you can't or won't do it. Step down. Let somebody in there who will do it, right? Yeah. But they're, pretty they don't do it, huh? they're pretty arrogant. They don't listen to anyone. Yes. They'll argue anything with you, right? And well, yeah, if it goes against what they want. Yeah. Exactly. Well, they, they, they say we have an imagined idea of policing will be about, but they don't yeah, have yeah. That's right. Yeah. No, well they don't there's well, they never, they never, they never actually do what the constituents want. They do what they That's decide right. to do. They don't have to actually live in the in these city limits. Most of these people right. don't live in these city limits. And That's when right. they, when they, when they San Francisco in our streets here with those fucking bike lanes, yeah. And they did it everywhere. They did it over north. Yep. When I, when I lived over north, I go, I'm like, these motherfuckers ain't ride bikes at this pace over here that you oh. need a, a whole fucking car lane over here. Oh, they drive down this they shit. They over north. Oh, they put there. barricades up over north. I know they put barricades because they know they were gonna drive down that. Shit. Shit, you know, they had to put actual concrete up. You're like, nah, these motherfuckers just gonna drive over this shit. They knew that, you know? right? And think about how, yeah. think about this. Lisa Bender said, right, this most racist shit I've ever heard. She said after the riots, she said on CNN and somewhere else, if you call the police when someone's breaking into your garage, that's racist, right? Okay, the assumption is the person breaking into your garage is black. black. Otherwise, it wouldn't be racist. Yeah, right? yeah. What the f- so basically, she put out there with them black garage breaker issues. I can't stand her. Nobody so can stand Lisa Bender. Yeah, and I'm sorry, but like, there's no, you don't have to have any qualifications, right, to become a city council member. All you have to do is get people to vote for you. And that's oh, is that it? Right? it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not like the whole hey. city votes for you either. The whole city should have to vote, not just your neighborhood, right? It's so easy yeah. to gather a constituency in your neighborhood, right? Or your ward. So essentially, um, uh, I felt like I should give up after the riots, frankly, you know. But then I thought, nope, this is the time to go is after things get better not when things are the worst right yeah and so i thought you know and also i do not have a hefty savings account so i only get to say i want to quit but i can't quit because i gotta pay my bills but also i love that community i love my work so i'm staying but i mean and sorry for the long soliloquy but that's that's where i'm at you know it just it's a it's an incredibly painful experience for everyone, right? I think maybe not everyone. For a lot of people in the city, those riots and those protests and that murder were incredibly painful. But what's really hard for me to understand is, um, and you hear this a lot from white people, we need to heal, right? And I'm like, well, what do you mean by that, right? And no one can answer that question. No, no, they're not. They're not. They're not. They're not answering that question. They use those those phrases right. and those terms That's as the a writer. softening to try to, to to try to soften um, right. their I don't know their 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 dishonesty. I don't fucking know. It's but, the rhetoric. 
That but another way of saying forget. But the yeah. thing is, what's the we? We, as people of color, don't we. need to heal you. We no. don't need to fix no. you. We don't need to do shit for you. No. So what do you mean we need to fucking heal? No, you need to work on yourself. You need to figure some shit out. You need to come correct. And you need to shut the fuck up. Exactly. Simple. Well, we my ass. We. I'm interested to see what you guys think about 38th in Chicago, like that being closed off. In terms of what? In terms of permanently, in, or in terms of? I think in terms of policy. I mean, I'm not a fan of closing off the city street, rerouting the Chicago Five bus, right? Um, yeah, it's got to go. Not a big, I'm not a big neighborhoods are down Park Avenue. Yeah, Park Avenue or Portland. You know? Yeah, I mean, I'm not big. I'm not. I'm not a big fan oh. of it either. Of rerouting shit, and um, and I think. I mean, I think there's a there's a there's a way to to still have what people need without yeah. taking away from people from what people of our have needed before it all happened. Still, right? Because you know, community still has to come together. You know, right. and you know, compromises can be made. I mean, shit, they did it on they did it on that sixty six in uh in Nicollet. They could do yeah. it over here. A roundabout. So putting a roundabout. A roundabout. Exactly. Yes, a roundabout. That's what I yes. was suggest. Is a roundabout yeah. with George Floyd, a statue of George Floyd in the middle of it. Yeah. Fucking placard on all sides that says "I can't breathe," and then eight yeah. minutes and forty six seconds underneath what, it. Right. What about Cup Foods? Should they stay there? Well, well Cup Foods. Now no, I want to jump in with the Cup Foods because Cup Foods because <laughs> they sell in fucking t-shirts. They still yeah. selling those. They still selling them damn shirts. Oh yeah. To sell one, to sell one fucking T-shirt, and try to make money off of that that happened outside of their fucking store. Fuck, cup, foods. I think that points to that points to a lot of stuff when you think about it. When this stuff happens, number one is the people who are so opportunistic, right? So the land developers who want to take these spaces where the buildings burnt down, the people who want to market shit and make money off it, right? Anybody who can sort of like, you know, sort of the white woman who painted the original mural. It's like people like, people like try to create these situations and they, they, as a part of the situation, they start to create opportunities, which I find strange, unless it's an opportunity that fits a situation, which is to recognize all the damage that's been done on the part of elected officials and the police and our, and our sort of like institutions that, that aren't serving us well. But I also think too, that symbolism seems to be enough for so many people when symbolism should be leading to long-term change, right? Like exactly, exactly. how many murals you paint, right? How many bouquets of flowers you leave outside of cup foods? That's right. Yeah. No, you know, you know, one thing I like to say about, about the symbolism, I go, thanks for the paint, but we already went through that once. Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Sign the signs and shit, you know, but yeah, exactly. you miss me with that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, there, there were plenty of police calls and stops at cup food before all of this. Right. There right. People in the neighborhood for years, for over 20 years. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, if you look at the central community where Cup Foods is located, that's been a community that has, um, in my opinion, in terms of like a neighborhood organization, they have been overturned so many times. Like, so money that was there for residents to do home improvements, programs, projects, all that stuff um, 
hasn't been available to people for the longest time. I do believe there's a director there now. So number one, that community has been impacted by a lack of resources um, that have, have really kind of been withheld from them. Um, the second thing is, is um, that community doesn't need to be the community that has to take on the burden of this of this reminder all by themselves, right? And it's not enough to just contain it there if you ask me, you know? Um, and then third, like there is commercial development over there, right? There are businesses that need to be able to operate. You know, I'm not even going to comment on Cup Foods because it's ridiculously stupid anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's like the epitome of the bodega. Isn't it's it, right? It's, it's overpriced so and yeah. hardly, hardly convenient. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, there's very little I can say about that. But I also, you know, I don't like uh, memorializing a space where someone was murdered, right? I think it deserves a better space somewhere. I mean, I'd like to see a statue in front of City Hall, you know? Um, Or in front of one of the the new statues, you know, these could be the new statues. Yeah. You know? Hey, what if that was true? We'd have more statues of people. Yeah, I know. Like Cleveland. There's a, I don't know when the last time you all were over near the central or near cup foods or any of that kind of stuff, but there's a whole lot of tombstones now erected in the oh, park. Yeah, yeah, in the, in the, in the restaurant, the, um, the spring yeah. runoff. Yeah. yeah. Right over there. Right and next. so it was interesting because I was biking through there and I always get off my bike and walk it past the 38th in Chicago because A, I don't want, I don't want to hear shit and I don't want to run right. into anybody, but also B, I actually want to take in my surroundings and, and see what it's all about. So there's this, I ran into probably four or five white families looking around and I thought, what are you learning from this? What are you getting from this? Not that I'm, I don't want you to not be here. I want you to actually think about what happened here. But right. what are you getting from this? And how is this going to then manifest in your life? And what are you going to do to change shit? I mean, are you just right. coming here to gawk? Or are you going to actually do some shit? This is what I want right. to know. And right. so, you know, that goes back to the question of allyship. It's like, okay, we don't need to heal. Y'all need to figure some shit out. But mm-hmm. how can we help? <laughs> how can the black line help those who don't know? <laughs> and, and we don't, and we don't, we don't need no casual activists either. Right. No, no. If you ain't in, if you ain't in for the long haul, sit your ass down. Yep. You know, yep. either you're in it, or you're either in it to win it, or you're just sucking it by the fucking sidelines, and that's it. Yeah. And I don't even consider myself like. I mean, I guess I'd be considered an activist of sorts, you know, but I'm not. Um, you know, like I don't know. Black Lives Matter. I know. Right. Like they should have always mattered. I know that. Right. That's not that's not my gig right now, right? Of course, I believe it fully, but my gig is getting to the systems. I mean, and there, and again, I said there's more than police, right? And I'm sorry, but like when when people don't call stuff out, right? And I'm not just talking about police brutality. I'm talking about calling out the mayor, calling out your council members, actually participating in your community, right? And saying, okay. What do we need to do to change this? Not just saying, you guys fucked up, right? Saying to them, what do you need from us to change this? But also on the side of the council and the mayor, 
stop only reacting to activists, right? Go into communities. There's people outside all the time, right? There's people in groups everywhere. Ask that crowd what they think, right? Then record what they said and publicly let people know what they said. And then if you act against what that community says, we know you don't give a shit, right? Mm -hmm. Ask people, ask, I'm sorry, go to a park, where it's a diverse community and ask a group of people how important it is to you to ban fur, right? You will get dead silence. They will look at you like, what in the fuck are you talking about? Ask people who call their top five priorities. Fur will never appear. We ain't seen fur fur out, nobody wearing the fur since there were pimps over here. What do you ask to be fur? I mean, think about this. I was talking I was talking to a council member and I said to them, this whole push to get rid of all the parking in Minneapolis is bullshit, right? And it's also it's ignoring what the needs are of people of color. And he was like, What do you mean? And I said, you know, white people think having a car is something they deserve, right? They're entitled to it. For a lot of people of color, it's aspirational, right? I'm gonna save my money and get a car. If I get a car, I can work anywhere I want to. If I get a car, I can drive to appointments, bring my kids places, blah, blah, blah. If you look at the immigrant community in Minneapolis, they have minivans. So many of them, they have large families with kids in them, right? They need to get places. They have a car to make their lives better. But these jokers are like, yeah, we should get rid of parking. It's going to be just, you know, like a really friendly walking environment, even though it's winter six months of the year, right? Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, like they don't need those meters either. Right, or it's like getting, you know, getting rid of um, single-family homes and just building all these high-end apartments. Well, if there's such a disparity gap between black home ownership and white home ownership, and it's the largest in the nation here, then what are they going to buy? Because as scarcity begins to happen with single family homes, so goes the price, right? I know. Yeah, and I'm sorry, but like, here's the other form of racism that's happening right now. There's so many micro unit buildings, right, that are being built. Who can live in a micro unit for $1,200 a month? Not a family. You don't have to racially discriminate. No one with a family is gonna apply for them, right? They don't build family-sized apartment units in these new buildings, right? If you have three kids, you can't move into this place. You probably can't afford it, number one. But you can't, right? So you won't even apply. They're, they're, you don't have to look at someone and racially discriminate. They're not coming your way anyway. Right? No one with any sense would move into that shit anyway. This no. tacky, no. horrible apartments. No. You know, yeah, when my yeah. dad was able to buy our house, he was so proud. You know, he came from, you know, Kansas City, Mo, Kansas City, Kansas, actually, he was, well, Atchison, Kansas, poor as dirt, grew up with a dirt floor. I mean, he's typical sort of experience of being in, in incredible poverty, you know, post-depression, large family, and everything was aspirational. And I was telling this council member, and Mickey, you know this, my dad just manicured his lawn. It was so important to him. He was so proud to be able to say, I can afford a house for my family. I can keep it nice. He was so proud when in his 50s, he was able to buy his first new car outright, right? He didn't expect to have all these things like white people do. But if you're looking through a white lens, 
that doesn't mean shit to you. Even if black people say this to you, it doesn't mean shit to you, right? And so I think sometimes when they look through that white lens, they have to just say, I can't do it, right? You guys help me figure this out, right? Is parking important in this city? Fuck yes. Drive through any neighborhood, right? And see that incredible lack of parking, how people are crowded. It's a winter city. We have, you know, when it snows too much, they have those snow emergencies. I mean, it's important to have parking. Not to mention the majority of specialists now, medical specialists are moving to the suburbs. So you have to, if you're going to get to a specialist, you can't just do it in the city of Minneapolis anymore, unless you want to go to emergency rooms. And right. our public transportation, our public transportation is is not up to par for that kind of not lifestyle. safe. It's, it's not safe. Never, it's never been up to par in Minneapolis. Yeah. You know, it's never been good. But think about the number of people in the city who work third shift, right? What time are second shift? What time are they getting off from work? Eleven, is it? Three sure. Eleven, three to twelve. And, and what time are they going to work? Right, third shift. You're not going to feel number one now. You can't get home after two on light rail because they shut it down because homeless people sleep on it, right? But how safe are you going to feel waiting for a bus at a bus stop at night, right? It's not mostly white people working those shifts in those hours, right? So what if you had a car where you could be safer, where you could get to work on time, right? I mean, I just, I'm dumbfounded sometimes by the arrogance of the Caucasian agenda, I really, it's, it's so arrogant, right? It's as if we never existed. But it's, I know, it's it is. Just the Caucasian down the city council, too. Well, that's but what it's, I'm saying. It's yeah. Yeah, and well, <clears throat> the city council, like, okay, the people of color on the city council? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I hate to be the one to bring this to an end. We've got three minutes left. I'm sorry, did I totally overtalk this? No, not at all. In fact, no. I want to bring you back because we only, I feel like, scratched the surface of shit. In fact, we didn't even get to where we can go, what we can, you know, money's flooding in. Where is it going? How is this going to help? How can we rebu- rebuild? Yeah. How do we come back from this? All the ship, allyship, all of it. Okay. We have yep. so many things that we just, like I said, just touched upon. And yeah. I could talk for days about this shit, but. Well, don't ask me anything that makes me cry. I love you. Very I love you back. I love you back. Thank you very much. <laughs> Always will. <laughs> Always will indeed. Thanks, baby. I'm glad to. Hi, Jamar. I'm glad to see you. And it was really nice to meet you, too. To reconnect. Welcome. Yeah. Yes. It was. Yes. yes. It, it was, it's great. It was great to have you on. Absolutely. Yes. I wouldn't mind yes. you running for uh, city council. Yes, Melanie. Yeah. Oh, you know why I won't? Because uh, you go to the grocery store without people talking to you all the time, right? Uh, Not doing it. Well, uh, get that shit delivered. Well, here's what else I say. I, I really don't want any of that coming back up <laughs> And not because, I was, because the people I was not with disgust me. <laughs> but it was, all pre, it was all pre-camera phones, so nobody <laughs> right. There is no proof. Just don't talk no. about it. Lucky. There's no all proof. Right. That's right. Well, great. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. See you soon, everybody. Take care. Take care. Take care. Bye.